Welcome back to the Practical Thesis Podcast, where faith and culture collide. My name is Josh Smith. I am your host. And today I have back with me on the podcast, Sean Hussey. Sean is a disciple of Jesus, a husband, father. He lives in Indianapolis with his wife, his daughter, and serves as the Associate Director of Young Adult and College Campus Ministry for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. He's also a Catholic speaker and host of The Cold Brews and Catholic Truths, an apologetic YouTube channel and podcast dedicated to to spreading and defending the truth of Catholicism. And if you have been listening to the podcast for any strength of time, or length of time, Sean has been on here before sharing his testimony with us. It was awesome, and we're excited to have him back. So, Sean, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much, Josh. It's uh, great to be here again. Yeah, man. It's good to have you. So today we're going to be talking about something that uh, is kind of a dividing line, I think, for uh, some Christians. Um, And that is the topic of baptism. More specifically, um, is baptism necessary Hmm. uh, and in most contexts necessary for salvation? And this is coming at a really kind of fun and interesting time because uh, we just got my daughter baptized. We had a nice little private baptism with all the COVID stuff going on. And uh, so this, uh, I've been thinking about this topic quite a bit, you know, and, um, but we want to get your take on it. So first off, for those who might be new to Christianity, not familiar with what baptism is, tell us a little bit about what baptism is. Sure. I mean, I guess baptism is, um, you know, means to immerse. I think the the word literally means to immerse. Um, Baptism has been around before Jesus. I mean, even even if you look to the Mm -hmm. Gospels, of course, there was this baptism of repentance from John, which isn't the same thing as a Christian baptism. So to be immersed in water certainly is symbolic of like washing away a former life, stepping into a new way of life, being cleansed. Mm -hmm. Of course, water actually does cleanse us. Um, so in, in the Christian context, baptism is one of the seven sacraments. Um, it's, it's the sacrament of faith. The church calls it the sacrament of faith because uh, it's really closely con- connected to belief. Um, mm. And uh, it's also like the first of the seven sacraments. It's like the gateway sacrament to the other sacraments. We, by receiving this, this, this sacrament of baptism, we're able to partake of the other sacraments that Christ gives to us. That's maybe just a basic overview of what it is. Someone who's baptized, I guess, um, they're either immersed or sprinkled with water uh, and have the, tr- the Trinitarian formula said over them, which is just, I baptize you in the name of the Father and yeah. of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that's, yeah, that's basically what baptism is. Yeah. Now, obviously, I know you grew up in a, you know, a Catholic home, as we heard on your testimony, too, and uh, you kind of started going down a path of some non-Catholic traditions, not that there was anything wrong necessarily with your upbringing, um, but uh, you started to see some things that were attractive about some of these other faith traditions. Mm. Um, How would you say your understanding of baptism now is kind of a revert to the Catholic Church who's dove into Mm. baptism and what it is? How does it differ from when you were going in those Protestant circles? Hmm. I mean, I guess the big, the best word I could use is just that it's been strengthened. Yeah. Um, my belief in the in the Catholic understanding of baptism, or in the sacrament of baptism as a whole, has been strengthened. I think, fortunately, it's been preserved throughout Christendom. Uh, baptism has been preserved throughout Christendom. Although not all Christians necessarily think that it is, uh, a, a, well, they might say it's a sacrament, but they don't mean by it's a sacrament in the same way that Catholic that Catholics yeah. mean that. So I would just say it's reaffirmed, it's strengthened my understanding that baptism, uh, to use the words of Martin Luther, is no human plaything, but mm. that baptism has been instituted by God. It's a, it's an amazing gift, and it's something we ought not take 
lightly. Uh, I, I mean, I'm going to give you my cards early that I think baptism is necessary for salvation. But sure. so it's, it's, it's just led me to like this deeper um, love for the great gift of baptism that God gives us this gift so that uh, we can be his children and that we can be brought into perfect, back into relationship with him. I was just reflecting on it this morning with some folks talking about the, the great gift of baptism and how, yeah, it's just, it's just not merely a symbol, but it's something mm-hmm. that God gives us, which has great power in our lives. So I would say just like in experiencing what other Christians think about it, especially in viewing it as, you know, just like an outward symbol, an outward expression for the community of faith, yeah. I have been like led back, uh, strengthened in my, you know, original understanding is in that, in that baptism is is much more than that baptism is is really important for us yeah yeah i you know i'm kind of curious of your thoughts on like what what some of the hang-ups are with this idea of bap- hmm. baptism like the necessity of baptism because i think <laughs> yeah. you look at the scriptural data the scriptural evidence yeah. you know like in the book of acts for example the call to be to repent and be baptized and i'll never forget yeah. i was in a conversation with a, a youth pastor yeah. at the evangelical church my wife and i were going to and uh, God bless all the pastors in the world. They love to go to the Greek, right? So <laughs> I was going into the Greek, and the, it, this was so... By the way, this total side note, this was so mind-blowing to me. So I was going to the Greek, and it said, um, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness mm. of sins, right? And uh, so one could lead... That could lead you down the road of being like, baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, right? And mm. so... You go to the Greek, and that word for is ice, E-I-S. And so I had a pastor tell me, he's like, well, the word for is um, unto the forgiveness of sins. Um, uh, but, but So meaning like, uh, or, or it, it's, it's not like the cause of the forgiveness of sin, right? Or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. So they were like, and I was like, huh. So I, I was like, well, I'm going to do my due diligence. So I go in, and I look up mm-hmm. the word ice. Lo and behold, the word ice can have multiple meanings, Big surprise. And it could mean something (laughs) like that, but it could also mean, or no, he said, this is what it said. He said, because of. So it can mean because of. um, So Mm. repent and be baptized for ice because Uh, of the forgiveness of sins. Because your sins have been forgiven. Because your sins have already Uh, been forgiven, uh, right? And uh, But then you go in and you look at the word ice, and it can also mean unto the forgiveness of sins. So depending on which, which... definition you use for that particular Greek word, right. it could mean two wildly different things. Right. And so I know a lot of Protestants will see it as um, a work, so it shouldn't contribute anything. Right. And as you just said, spoiler alert, you you believe baptism is necessary for salvation. Where do you think some of those hang-ups are mm-hmm. that would prevent somebody from seeing it as a potential necessity in the life of a believer? Yeah, I mean, maybe a hang-up is just like this uh, misunderstanding that baptism somehow uh, takes away from the finished work of Christ, you know, like mm. if we're saved by faith, like in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, then then why would I have to be baptized? I mean, look at the thief on the cross, for example. Yeah. He turned and repented of his sin and asked the Lord to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And, and you know, tradition has kind of said that he would have been saved. And, and so like there's an obvious example, actually, um, that it's really about what Jesus did for us rather than mm. about anything we do, and including baptism. So we can't really depend, have a necessity placed on something that we're doing. 
Yeah. Um, I guess just what how I would respond to that. It's so interesting because I think a lot of the Protestant traditions have even lost some of the understanding that their reformers, their so-called reformers like Martin yeah. Luther, even had uh, themselves. I want to read this quote uh, about Mar- from Martin Luther. What he mm-hmm. says about um, he doesn't actually see a contradiction between faith alone and the necessity of baptism. Uh, in his large catechism, he says, "Yes, our works indeed avail nothing for salvation." Baptism, however, is not our work, but God's. God's works, however, are saving and necessary for salvation mm. and do not exclude but demand faith. For without faith, they could not be apprehended. Um, so again, I think it's just, I, I don't think that ought to be an obstacle. I don't, yeah. even if, even if you're going to say, you know, you believe in salvation by faith alone, which I might not phrase it in that way. Um, I don't think you need to be worried. This is not a work of man. This is instituted by Christ for our sake. We didn't create this to get God to do what we want. God mm. created this for our sake so that we would be enabled, we would be inspired, empowered yeah. by his Holy Spirit to do what he asks of us. So again, as Martin Luther says, um, this isn't our work. This is God's work in us. Mm. I, you know, how do you think Protestants have gotten so far away from that idea of even some of the main reformers? Because, you know, you have mm-hmm. obviously the splintering, which right. started with the Reformation, and so we've right. gotten further and further away from even what the reformers hold true. And I know a lot of evangelicals might take right. a look at that and be like, well, they were still they were still under the influence of, of Roman mm-hmm. thought, you know, right. and they, they didn't really know what we now know 500 years later. <laughs> Huh. It's a different story. That's always funny to me. Um, <laughs> but like, so how did, what what was the kind of process that got us mm. even further away, even a lot of non-Catholics further away from this idea that baptism should be taken in that light? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just that that lack of authority, that lack of clarity, even yeah. in, in interpreting the scriptures. So the problem of sola scriptura is that, you know, th- there's no, it doesn't leave you with an infallible interpreter of scripture. I mean, text in its nature doesn't interpret itself, even even if it's not sacred text. Yeah. Any text needs to be interpreted in some way, and especially uh, sacred scripture. So even the example you just pointed out, yeah. like, yeah, this word for can have two different meanings. So if I'm left only to sacred scripture as my ultimate final arbiter, mm-hmm. um, then I'm going to have differences of opinions. It's just, it's just yeah. what's going to happen. And especially when we're dealing with different languages written by different authors over di- you know different time periods even, if we look to the Old Testament, uh, over thousands of years, um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have like we're gonna come to different conclusions all following the same text, and I think that's what we've seen happen in Protestantism, is that yeah, Martin Luther can look at this passage, repent and be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of sins, yeah. and and read that to conclude that yeah, the baptism actually forgives our sins, but another you know reformer, another Protestant can look at it and think. Uh, no, it doesn't mean that because look, this actually can mean because your sins have already been forgiven. So I think that lack of a of a of a final authority, that lack of of a church um, that that's been inspired by the Holy Spirit to kind of preserve uh, preserve uh, God's word, um, has what's led to maybe these these differences of of thought. Something that I you know just would want to say early on here um, about the necessity of baptism, and and I think we're going to get into what yeah. what we really mean by that word. But before that, I just want to say that. Uh, I use Martin Luther just to say this isn't strictly speaking a Catholic Protestant division, mm-hmm. and so if you are a non-Catholic Christian listening, you don't have to be afraid that if you you see this as logical in Scripture, if this makes sense to you, you can accept it while not necessarily having to become Catholic. Um, you know, many Protestant traditions to this day 
uh, accept that baptism is 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 necessary for salvation. That baptism is is a real sacrament that brings about God's grace in our lives. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So let's talk about necessity, yeah. right? Necessary. So often mm-hmm. people will point out, like you you mentioned earlier, the thief on the cross who didn't wasn't baptized, yeah. right? And and how we would traditionally think about baptism. Um, how can we be, I guess, in one sense, yeah. sure that baptism is necessary for salvation? I guess maybe even a step back from that, like, what do we mean when we say that, or like, <laughs> why would we say it's necessary? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, this is, I'm going to read from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, mm-hmm. where it talks about the fact that baptism is necessary for salvation. So paragraph 1257, the church says, baptism is necessary, necessary for salvation, for those to whom the gospel has been proclaimed and who have had the possibility of asking for this sacrament. So we, we say it's necessary because the church knows of no other means by which God is ordinarily gives us yeah. sanctifying grace. Um, it goes on to say in the same paragraph, God has bound himself to the sacrament of baptism. He himself is not bound by the sacraments. And you could say the same with all the sacraments. God has yeah. bound himself to the sacraments, but he is not bound by them. In other words, for a Christian who knows that they ought to be baptized, for a person who hears the gospel and knows that they ought to respond in faith, it is necessary for them to be baptized because that is what Jesus instituted. Again, not the church. This is Jesus's institution. So in that sense, baptism is necessary, but not in some kind of absolute sense. Um, I would make a distinction between um, like the absolute necessity of baptism and like mm. the normative necessity of baptism. And as Catholics, we would say mm. that that baptism is under, under normal circumstances is necessary for salvation, for those who have heard the gospel and had the opportunity to respond in faith. It is necessary for them. However, because God is God created the sacraments, uh, anytime they're, they're applied with the correct formula, then he gives his grace because that's how he ordained it. But he, of course, can work outside of his sacraments. So for someone who, through no fault of their own, is not baptized, um, there, the church still holds out the possibility of salvation for that person. The thief mm. on the cross, for example, I mean, he's not really in a position to be baptized because he's on a cross and he's dying. And so his faith, therefore, uh, we would just call that what we would say like an implicit desire for baptism. If you look to what the church has always taught, um, they've always made this recognition that uh, baptism is necessary in the normative sense, but there's also such a thing as baptism of blood or a baptism of desire. And so I think the good thief on the cross would be an example of a baptism of desire. Um, If somehow he would have survived his crucifixion and he would have continued to live his life, he would have needed to be baptized. If he would have rejected that, then he would have rejected God's normative plan for salvation for his life. But of course that didn't happen. So under his circumstances, he showed an implicit desire for for Christ, to give his life to Christ, and therefore an implicit desire to receive the sacrament that Jesus instituted if he had the opportunity. Um, And the church fathers through the centuries have always recognized this. They've been very firm in saying baptism is necessary while still showing that, of course, God works outside of his sacraments uh, uh, at extraordinary times. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so good. So good. I, I always like that about the catechism when it says that in particular God can operate outside. I always think of it like the uh, you know, getting across a river. I've heard this analogy mm-hmm. before. You know, there's there's a yep. bridge 
that you can use to get across the river. You could swim, you know, <laughs> you might get across, uh, but the current might take you, you know. But yes. if somebody were to say, hey, look, there's a bridge over there. Why are you swimming? <laughs> then you probably would go take the bridge. Um, but God still controls the <laughs> river. And so you could still reach, you know, that yes. outside, though it might, the path might be a bit more arduous, a bit more difficult than what he built for you to get across the river. Yeah, you know, God gave us baptism for our sake. Again, not, we didn't create it for our, for our own sake or to mm. manipulate God. He's giving it to us as the ordinary means of salvation to, to make it as easy as possible. He desires all men to be saved. I love mm. that analogy, Josh. I've, my brother often uses the analogy, like with the sacraments, of like mowing your lawn. Like mm-hmm. if you wanted to, you could mow your lawn with a pair of scissors. <laughs> and just go through blade by blade, you know? But wouldn't you rather use the lawnmower uh, if you have that option? And like the sacrament of baptism is a little bit like that. Like, is it possible for you yeah. to be saved outside of his sacraments? It's possible. Um, but it's not the ordinary means that Christ gave us. So mm-hmm. if we are aware of the baptism, if we're aware of the gospel and, and of yeah. the need to be baptized, then we, we must be. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it makes me think too when you say that. Um, you, you know, you could be saved outside, but it, obviously, he gave this normative means. It makes me think too of like the the potential reasons and blocks people come up with in their mm. own mind about why they would be resistant to what God has ultimately laid out. Yeah. You know, I heard one uh, one of the comments on one of my YouTube uh, videos. Uh, a um, it was actually, in, in particular, it was uh, something that we were talking about on our last episode, which is this in the importance of community in, mm, in the faith yeah. communities. And he, this, I don't know, he or she, whoever it was, this person um, said that, uh, you know, basically equating, uh, you know, totalitarianism and collectivism is kind of at the heart of religion. And I feel like sometimes a lot of people can look at the sacraments in any faith tradition, whether it's the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church or um, even going to the Orthodox Church, or yeah. um, they, they look at them as like this binding hold of manipulation <laughs> that people have, that the Church has over people. And so they can manipulate people into doing what they want to do, uh, um, which that's not to say that there, I'm sure there have been pastors, yep. um, priests, popes, People in the past, in history, through their um, you know their own sinful nature, have no doubt yes. abused that. Right. Um, what would you say to somebody who might be in that state where they're like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. baptism is just this manipulative tool that people use, so they get your money, and <laughs> you know they sprinkle some water, they got to pay for the water, whatever the reason is." Yeah. You know what? What would you say uh, to that? Where they're they're withholding, you know, the church is withholding salvation from you if you don't get baptized. Um. Uh, again, the church—I would just say—the church has no authority to withhold salvation. <laughs> That's—I mean—that's—that's that's up to God, yeah. and so He didn't give the church that kind of authority. He gave the church sacraments to give His grace for folks, and He's entrusted that for the church to give. I would just say, you know, this is not the reality. Might people um, abuse, you know, the sacraments God gave us? Of uh, certainly, we we do that in our fallen nature, but. Yeah. Again, this is not created by the church. This was created by Jesus. If you believe in God, and if you, especially if you're a Christian, then I don't think you need to have a problem with this. Jesus desires that we all be one. Um, that's his greatest desire is unity in the church, unity, unity among Christians, and, and unity with himself. And mm. that's the purpose of the sacraments. The purpose of the sacraments is the ordinary means by which he gives us his divine life. And so it's a great gift. It's not something to be manipulated. It's a great gift that he offers to us. Um, you know, it's it's like uh, maybe an analogy I can use before is like these sacraments 
um, don't inhibit our freedom. It's not like manipulating our, our salvation or the economy of salvation. It's to help us in our salvation. God is giving us to give us his grace. It's like the rules of a game of basketball. Any mm. good basketball player is going to tell you that the rules don't take away your freedom to play the game. They don't inhibit your ability to play the game. Actually, the rules are what allow you to play the game. It's like, well, they're just manipulating the athletes to make sure they dribble and to make sure they stay in a certain, you know, boundaries. Yeah. It's like, no, a good basketball player knows without those things, I cannot freely play the game. The yeah. boundary keeps the game happening. You know, I, I have to dribble, so I can't just sprint all over the court with the ball. So the rules are not arbitrary. The rules in basketball mm -hmm. allow you to play the game freely. And a good basketball player knows that. In the Christian life, you could look at the sacrament. You could look at the, this, the moral law of God the same way, but you could look at baptism or the sacraments in this way, that they don't inhibit our freedom. They don't manipulate us or our salvation. In fact, they allow us to be free. The sacraments is what God gives us so that we can freely play the game, so to speak. We can freely be Christians and we can freely have moral certainty of our salvation. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Now, uh, diving into something you mentioned earlier, too, yeah. about the sacraments, I know some people might not be aware of what a sacrament is. And yes. baptism being a sacrament, um, obviously there's an understanding that it, it's more than just a symbol. Yes. Right? So tell me a bit about that. How do you understand baptism as more than a symbol, mm -hmm. as many non-Catholic traditions might see it? Yes. So sacraments, um, we would say, are, are sacred signs instituted by Christ to give grace. So it's those three things. They are sacred signs. So they are symbols. Um, they are instituted by Christ. They have to be instituted by Jesus himself um, in order to give grace, unto grace, uh, <laughs> to give us grace, not because of the grace we've already been given. So they give us grace. So it's those yeah. three parts. So if we look at baptism, we would say that it's a sacred sign. It's a symbol. Um, it certainly is a symbol. Um, there's the symbol of water, of being immersed in water, of, you know, of dying to our sins, and then coming out of the water into newness of life, to rising from the dead as mm -hmm. Jesus rose from the dead so that we might walk in newness of life. So there's a symbol in that. There's, of course, a symbol in water of being washed in the water. Therefore, we're washed, the symbol of being washed of our sins. Um, we come out of that sin is, is clean, you know, made pure, new creations. So it's certainly a symbol. We would say that Jesus instituted this sacrament, um, right? He, he told us to be baptized and he instituted the, the, the waters of baptism. And then finally, though, to give grace. So that, this is the essential part of baptism is it's not just a symbol. It's not just a sacred sign, but it actually mm. uh, accomplishes what it symbolizes. So it doesn't just yeah. symbolize forgiveness of sins. It forgives our sins. It doesn't just for symbolize us like, you know, putting on a, a, or putting aside our old self and becoming new creations. We actually become new creations. As uh, St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, new has come. And what does it mean to be in Christ? I mean, if you look at Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we pull this up here, he says that to be in Christ is to be baptized. And so this is from his letter to the Galatians, chapter uh, th uh, 3, verse 26 and 27. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So by our baptism, we have, you know, been for, we are, we are forgiven of our sins, all sin, original and personal sin. Uh, we're given real grace. The, actually, in fact, we're given the grace of 
uh, we're given sanctifying grace, which is a restoration of how we were created in the first place. And we are made new creations in Christ. So I would say those are like the three things that occur through baptism that make it uh, more than just a symbol. Yeah. You know, let's get to Scripture a little bit. Just two verses I want to kind of tackle. I know one of the main objections that I've heard levied against um, this idea of the necessity (laughs) of baptism uh, is is St. Paul's language in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.17. And they use this specifically to refute the necessity of baptism. Yeah promulgating that, well, it's just this outward expression of an inward change. You don't really need to do it, but it's nice if you do it, because mm-hmm. it shows the community that you're a believer and that you're following right. Jesus, um, and that you've made that conscious decision. Um, it says this, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Yeah. Um, obviously, lending one to believe who's reading it in this way, that St. Paul, the, the you know, behemoth of apostles, is, uh, he, he didn't even come to baptize, so we don't need to take it that seriously. Um, how would you respond to that? Yeah, that's an interesting objection. I've heard that before, uh, and again, I think maybe it's got some merit at its, if, if you if you only have that that passage, I suppose, but even in yeah. the context, which, I'm, which I'll draw out here, I don't think that's the best way to look at that. So I would say before getting to the context, I would just say first, um, you know, Jesus said otherwise, uh, you know, Peter says otherwise, Paul says otherwise all over the place that, of course, baptism is essential. Baptism does forgive sins and bring about the Holy Spirit, makes us new creations. So like, for example, in the Great Commission, Jesus gave all the apostles uh, and he actually commands them to baptize uh, to make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul was made an apostle, so Paul would be being odi- disobedient to God if he was never baptizing at all, because yeah. in fact, you know, Jesus commanded that. Um, Paul, of course, himself was baptized. We can see that an account of that in Acts 9 or even in Acts 22, and he describes it himself. And when he's baptized, it's brought about the forgiveness of his sins, and he receives the Holy Spirit. So Paul knows the importance of baptism. He's not trying to discredit the importance of baptism here um, because of all those things. I think Paul's doing two things. One, Paul is using hyperbole. Paul is just using hyperbole to stress that, one, the focus of his ministry was to preach the invitation of salvation and not so much the response. In other words, his main, um, you know, his main focus, his main mission is to preach the gospel. He's less concerned about if he baptizes or somebody else baptizes. And, and that's the second point. He's also using hyperbole to say, it doesn't matter who baptizes you because mm-hmm. all of the baptisms are the same, right? Everyone has been, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's baptized is baptized into Christ. What's happening in this context is that there's dissension in the church about basically who has baptized them, right? He says, I belong to Paul. Others say, I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. Um, mm-hmm. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Uh, I'm thankful I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaia. So he did baptize some people we already see mm-hmm. right there. Um, lest any of you should say that you are baptized in my name. Christ did not send me, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So in other words, it doesn't matter that Paul baptized you or Cephas baptized you or Apollos baptized you. You don't belong to any of those people. 
you belong to Christ through your baptism. Um, and, you know, and, and, and obviously baptism is, is connected to faith. So I would just offer maybe those two things in response. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good point, too. Obviously, the, the pulling things into context, which, you know, it's funny because when you get into scriptural debates, um, both sides say each other's side is taking it out of context. It's <laughs> always funny to me. But I think if even if you look at it on surface value, just like some simple principles to apply that right. always shock me here when, when you see a verse, even a verse like this taken out of the context that it's in, the assumptions that get drawn just because of a line of text. Yeah. And we have a tendency, I think, to always like assume what it says and what it doesn't say without looking at what it says and what it doesn't say. <laughs> so even if you look at, for Christ did not send me to baptized, but to preach the gospel. Well, Christ did not send me to baptize. The assumption that's drawn is, therefore, baptism is not necessary. Well, that's not what the text says. <laughs> yeah, it just says that good. Christ didn't send him to baptize. It, it didn't say anything about baptism not being necessary, right, or right. that you shouldn't baptize. But to preach the gospel, the assumption there is that the only important thing in the Christian life when it comes to evangelism is preaching the gospel. That's not what it says. <laughs> it says he was sent to preach the gospel. Not it's So it's just funny, like, I always right. find it interesting when you step back and you look at like, what is it really saying and what right. is it not saying and what assumptions am I drawing just by nature right. that I probably need to check at the door um, when you're interpreting the passage. I think it could be a good way to go about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. You can read way too far into something without yeah. actually taking it at its face value. I mean, we could do the same. We could use the same passage and just say you shouldn't be baptized at all. You yeah. know, <laughs> because Christ didn't send Paul. I mean, the greatest apostle. He didn't send Paul to be baptized. Why? Why yeah. are we baptizing at all? Yeah. <laughs> or you could take the passage to be like, well, uh, well, Paul wasn't really a believer. This is all just hearsay that we shouldn't even adhere to these words. It's meant to challenge us yeah. in our belief <laughs> to really like, yeah, there's so many things you could do. So I want to go yeah. to one other passage. It's okay. a pretty important passage, I think, and okay. that's John 3, 5. Okay. To showcase, I know many, especially the church fathers, you yeah. can't open a church father talking about baptism right. without coming across John 3, 5. Um and I challenge anybody to kind of go check that out because yes. it's it's been my experience. Um, so many go to show that baptism is necessary, though I know that many Protestants often can differ in their interpretations of this passage. Yeah. Um, how do you go about understanding that? Yeah, I'm going to pull it in front of me here just to take a look at it. So, yep. yeah, let me let me just read uh, verses three to five. Um, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who's a, who's a teacher of the Jews, and he says, uh, and Nicodemus comes to him by night, and, sa- and Jesus says to him. Um, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can mm-hmm. a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Um, I mean, I would just look at it again the way that you already started off saying, I was going to say the same thing you said, Josh, just how have Christians always understood this verse? I mean... Christians from the very beginning, you know, you can't find a church father who's going to interpret this verse by any other means other than that Christ is talking about baptism here, um, that you have to be born again. To be born again, the, I mean, the, the true way, the Catholic way, is to be baptized. And Jesus' explanation of what it means to be born again is to be born of water and the Spirit. It's those two elements. And I would say, again, baptism makes us a new creation. We, it's not the water that saves us. But Christ uses the water to place his spirit within us. And so it's together when we're baptized by the water and the Holy Spirit that we are, uh, that we can enter the kingdom of God, that we're made new creations. And again, God has done this all throughout creation. 
when he created the the when he was creating the universe, creating everything, it, the spirit hovers over the waters at the new creation. Mm-hmm. There's this element of spirit and water, right? The breath of God, ruah, spirit, hovers over the water. If you go on to um, um, the Noah in the flood, right? Even Peter himself interprets Noah and flood as a prefigurement of baptism. And what happens? We have the spirit represented by the dove hovering over the waters. Um, right, God brings about a new creation in in this by water and spirit. Um, of course, the pillar of cloud by day for the Israelites preceding them, the spirit of God proceeds wherever they go, and by the spirit they're led through the water, re- led through the Red Sea by which they are saved. Uh, Ezekiel chapter thirty six, the prophecy of salvation. Ezekiel, God through Ezekiel says, "I will uh, sprinkle you with clean water. I will place my spirit." within you. I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we see the fulfillment of that. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. And as I already shared, Paul goes on to say in other places that to be in Christ is to be baptized. To be new creations is to be born of water and spirit. This isn't new, but Christ has instituted this now as a sacrament. So I think when you look at it in light of the Old Testament and the prophecies, when Jesus says you have to be born of water and spirit, I don't see any better way to understand that than baptism. Later on in that very same passage, Jesus and his disciples, they go into the land of Judea and they baptize. And so even in the context, it seems like that, that makes sense that they're talking about baptism. But again, I would, just, I would just refer back to what you already said, Josh. Look at what the first Christians said about this passage. Look at what yeah. the people who knew the apostles, look at how they interpreted this passage, and you'll find that they all understood this to mean baptism. Yeah. And, I, you know, one of the things that I think is one of those just internal objections that people have to struggle with, and, and to be honest, it, it's a tough thing to struggle with, is yeah. this, um, for some people, it's, it's this idea of the spirit versus the flesh, like this material world versus the spiritual world. Yeah. And uh, when you look at any of the sacraments, or even if you look at the life of faith, even if you're giving your life to Jesus right. and you believe in his atoning work on the cross, you're believing, you're putting your faith in some spiritual... Yeah aspect, something that's happening in some way that you cannot see physically, yeah. tangibly in this world. So, um, But I, I think sometimes where this can get missed, this idea of, just like you said, you know, whoever's born again of water and spirit, how does that work? Practically, it's tough to wrap our temporal hmm. heads around yeah. because we don't see the infinite. We don't have a peek behind the veil, so to speak, right. of everything that's going on in the spiritual world. It's something we can intuit, I think, and we can know yeah. is there, but it's something that is a cause for great like prayer and discernment and yeah. just communication with God on right. because that he's the author and perfecter of it all. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's what was coming to mind. There. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I would just, I would encourage folks to just think about our own nature, especially Christians. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a non-Catholic Christian or a Catholic Christian, just, just, you know, we're a body soul composite. We're not just mm-hmm. spiritual. You know, all those heresies were condemned early on. Uh, <laughs> we're not just spiritual. We're, we're, we are physical. We are physical beings. Mm-hmm. Um, God obviously created a physical order. And that's why I use that example at the beginning of creation. God's spirit is hovering mm-hmm. over the waters. Um, so there's this immaterial aspect to us, but that but there's also this physical. And the physical mm-hmm. aspect is no less real than the 
than the immaterial, yeah. the spiritual aspect. It's why, you know, at the end, at the end of time, we will be, our bodies will be raised and our souls will be united to our bodies and we will forever be a body soul composite in a glorified body. So we mm. ought not be afraid of this, um, this, this interplay between physical realities and spiritual realities. I think God has always, you know, in creating the, the created order, has, these things have always gone hand in hand with each other. Yeah. Awesome. This has been great. Yeah. Uh, Sean, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise here. Uh, kind of as we wrap this up, how do you think Protestants and Catholics alike can find a common starting point hmm. in this particular conversation? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I would I would say once again what I said early on is that, you know, y- you can be a Protestant and you can accept that baptism is necessary for salvation. Again, we're talking in the normative sense. We understand that there are, you know, extraordinary circumstances when that's not possible. There's good reasons uh, people die for their faith and aren't baptized. They desire to be baptized. They are unable yeah. to. All of those things. But in the normative sense, you know, Jesus himself says that unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So I would start by saying, just remember, this isn't a Catholic Protestant, uh, strictly speaking, <laughs> this isn't a Catholic yeah. Protestant division, um, nor is it a Catholic and non-Catholic division. Um, the majority of Christianity through time has always accepted that baptism is necessary in some sense for salvation. So I would start by saying that. The other thing I would start with common ground is just remember, like, what's amazing is that even those who don't accept that baptism, you know, really gives grace or, or really does, um, you know, fill us with the Holy Spirit, it's a sacrament in that way, um, still tend to practice baptism. I mean, that's why they're Christians. They've been <laughs> baptized, they're, they're falling, they're obedient to Christ's words, you know, to, to baptize everyone, to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's what unites us. Baptism is the sacrament of unity. It's the reason why we can say that we're not completely divided. We can, it's the reason we can say that your Protestants are our separated brothers and sisters in Christ because of our yeah. one baptism that we share. So even if you, you may not accept that baptism is necessary for salvation, you can accept, I think, that you ought to be baptized because Jesus commanded it and, and that we are one body, that we have a unity, although imperfect, we do have a unity through our baptism. And I think that's something yeah. beautiful, something to rejoice over. I love that. Sean, this has been great. So good to have you back on and chat with you. Uh, for those who missed it on the first episode, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, thanks so much, Josh. It's great to be here. Yeah, if you want to find out more about my podcast, Cold Brews and Catholic Truths, or bring me to, to speak at your parish or campus or, or on a Zoom, on a Zoom you know, a talk, I suppose, uh, you can just he- check out my website, uh, seanhussey.org, S-E-A-N-H-U-S-S. EY. You can have all the links to my podcast, ways to get in touch with me or to book me for, uh, for a speaking event, anything like that. Awesome. And we'll put links down below in the description so you can go check them out. Sean, thanks again. Appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much, Josh. Yep. For everybody listening, definitely hit that like button and pound that subscribe button wherever you might be listening at so you continue to get more of this awesome content from the Practical Theism Podcast. Leave us a review, share it around with somebody who needs to hear this conversation. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.